Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis and today I'm joined by Christina Thatcher. Christina is a poet I knew when I was living near Cardiff. I often heard her read at local events. I attended a weekly writing workshop she ran, which inspired me to start a similar group here in Norwich. I interviewed her for an earlier version of this podcast when her debut collection came out in 2016. Now she's bringing out her second collection, How to Carry Fire. It was a great time to get back in touch. The book blurb reads, How to Carry Fire was born from the ashes of family addiction. Beginning with the burning down of her childhood home, Thatcher explores how fire can both destroy and cleanse. Her work recognises embers everywhere. In farmhouses, heroin needles, poisonous salamanders. Without further ado, here's Christina with a poem from the collection. Okay, so this is called Arson. To be considered arson, a fire must be set with intent to endanger. If a building is occupied and the fire kills people inside, this is first degree. If a building is unoccupied but destroyed, this is second degree. If a fire causes danger, undefined, but no one dies and the building doesn't burn completely, this is third degree. But the statutes are unclear about what happens when you live in an arsonist family and every home you occupy burns to the ground again and again. And every night you must get quicker at rebuilding, at practicing shallow breathing when the smoke enters your room. And you must learn the art of prevention to collect wet wood, braid bedsheet ropes for window escapes, pour cat litter into gasoline tanks. The statutes are unclear about what happens when you inherit arson, when you cut your arm and bleed fire, fire. Wow, great. So um, that's a poem from your new collection, uh, How to Carry Fire, which uh, I haven't read yet because it's not out, um, but uh, great to hear that poem. Tell us a bit about the background uh, to the collection. So I guess this collection in some ways kind of carries on from my first one, which is called More Than You Were. Uh, that collection looked a little bit at my dad's drug addiction and his um, and his overdose. And this collection is, I guess, in a way, forming the second poetic memoir of, of my life. So this collection is kind of split into two parts, and it looks at first a bit about growing up in the U.S. and about growing up in eastern Pennsylvania um, and then about moving to Wales and living here. Obviously fire is a really important part of the collection so it looks at how the burning down of my childhood home impacted me and then explores fire in all different kinds of ways. So it looks at fire as as anger and anxiety but also as, as passion and love and as basically a destructive and cleansing kind of force in my life. So that's sort of where the collection moves to. So even though you have these two places, the, the U.S. And, and Wales, and uh, some things are covered in my life across those, uh, those spaces, really it's about how fire has traveled through my life. Um, so in a way, it's quite autobiographical. Yeah, so this uh, burning down of your childhood home, can you tell us uh, more about that and how did that become the starting point for the collection? 
Yeah, of course. So my house um, burnt down. Actually, I wasn't a child when it burnt down. I was 21 and I had already moved out, but I had left loads of my precious things at the house, as many university students do. And I had a call just after my 21st birthday um, in the middle of the night that the house was burning. Um, so I drove really quickly over there to be with my family. And we, we basically, we lost everything. So I lost all of my childhood journals, all of our, um, you know, treasured heirlooms and items. And it was a really surreal experience. Um, the fire was started by my dad, but it was an accident. And I think that he never really recovered from that experience. Uh, that house in particular was really important to our family because my grandfather had built it just after World War II. And um, we had, you know, three generations had lived there. So I think for him, it was it was especially tragic um, to have been in some way involved with the burning of the house. Yeah, so, and of course, uh, your father was your uh, central figure in your previous collection. Yeah, yeah, he was. And there, there is a reference to the burning of the house in that book, in a poem called Enabling, which was about the day I saw him after. But I really felt like I started to talk to my brother quite a lot in the process of writing this book. So I kind of started writing this book in 2016. And every time we were having conversations about difficulties or challenges in our family, it always seemed to come back to this fire. And it seemed like there was really no way that we could emotionally escape from it. Um, there wasn't a way where we could kind of overcome not just the, the loss, the things that we lost, which were, I suppose, the easiest things to overcome, but what the fire kind of meant for our lives and how it continued destroying lots of things. For instance, you know, sending my father deeper into his addiction, sending my brother into addiction. Um, it was, it was the catalyst for my parents' divorce. So it was, it has had a major impact. Um, so the book sort of starts in the aftermath. This book starts in the aftermath of that. So the fire happens before, and then the book opens with a poem called Insurance Report, which is basically us in the wreckage of, of the loss. And it carries on from there. Yeah, also there's a lot of uh, experiences and uh, people caught up in that. Uh, how, how did you make sure you did justice to it all? That's such a hard question, isn't it? Actually, I don't even, I don't know if I have done justice. I think that's something that poets always think about, isn't it? Like, can, can I actually do justice to this enormous experience? I suppose that the way that I thought about it was I was trying as hard as I could to just sit in my own experience. Um, obviously, my parents and my brother who were in the house when it was burning down, they are going to have a very different experience to me. The, the fire and the way that I talk about fire in the book is really personal. So it does reflect my own experiences as much as possible. But I have, you know, spoken to my, my mom and my brother quite extensively about the things that I'm writing and have shared poems with them. When my brother was in, in prison um, for the last nine months, we have been, as we always do, sharing letters back and forth and poems back and forth. So I was sending him poems from this book. A big thread of the fire in this book has to do with my brother's addiction, because as I was writing, he relapsed and I couldn't really stop writing about that. So the book sort of changed course a little bit to include the sort of destruction of, of addiction in our family. And he was really supportive and kind reading through all those poems about him and about his relapse um, and, and talking to me about them. And he's recently been released and we're still continuing to have those conversations now, which is, which is really nice. So I suppose 
I, I hope I have done justice to my own experiences and have honored the experiences of my family who have, who have also gone through this, but, um, they, they have their own stories to tell as well. Of course. So, uh, maybe, uh, can you tell us a bit about the background of the poem you just read, Arson? I guess there was a lot of things with the fire when I was thinking first writing about the literal fire. So this fire that burnt down my childhood home, this is where a lot of the initial poems came out. But then when I started thinking about how I was carrying that fire, so the sort of emotional implications of that fire and and the the losses and what happened to my family after that fire, I was thinking a lot about inheritance. So like what we have inherited, not just from this event, but also from each other. So there are some poems in the book about this, specifically about the things that I've inherited from my from my father. And there are times when the fires and this idea of arson is wrapped up with the idea of addiction, either stopping and starting addiction and how, um, you know, I've always been afraid that that's something that I might inherit and I see how it's destroying my brother. So, so this poem is really about what it means to live in a family full of addiction, full of arson, full of destruction and the fear of that. So what, what happens in the poem, um, you know, the speaker asks what happens when you cut your arm and bleed fire, fire, what happens when, the the things that you have inherited the things that you are carrying are are deeply destructive um and you know what i don't i don't have the answer for that these poems are sort of searching for that and it uh, starts off sounding like a, a found poem it's very uh factual and then it uh, suddenly uh, changes to be this much more emotional and personal poem which is a, a very striking oh thank you yeah i wanted I was very compelled for a long time of reading about these statutes, you know, in the in Pennsylvania, what it means, um, because I, I led a poetry course for the poetry school on fire. And so I was writing a blog post for them about my house burning down and, and putting archived newspaper articles up in this post. And I started reading about the laws and it was really interesting to get a sense of what Pennsylvania law, what Pennsylvania statutes considered intent, endangerment, what they considered unlawful, what they considered a problem, and what would be considered, you know, a third degree fire versus a first degree fire. I, I found that really fascinating, as though any fire that might destroy any home could be regulated in that way for second and third degree and what that means. So it was really interesting and compelling to go through those statutes. And that's sort of where the poem, even though it's not technically a like completely found poem, um, I used those statutes and laws as um, as inspiration for the beginning of that piece and just trying to think about the coldness of what it means to go through a fire when you're reading those kind of statutes and laws and, and how unemotional it is from, I guess, a legal standpoint. Yeah. And uh, were there any experiences you found particularly difficult to write about? I think at this stage, it's quite interesting. I feel pretty practiced at writing about the the darkest things in my life. So there were, were quite a lot of emotional poems in here about my brother and his addiction um, and some difficult poems um, about growing up. And I suppose I have always in many ways used poetry as a way or as a tool to understand and make sense of those very dark times. Um, so even though I suppose those are difficult poems, I feel practiced and I guess happy to write those kind of poems because it brings me a lot of 
piece and I enjoy taking some kind of narrative control over these things, which are usually really chaotic and unordered in my life. Strangely, the, the things that I did find most difficult to write, there are a few poems in the collection which are about sex and about intimacy because the second half of the book is about moving to Wales and about finding my home here with my husband and in this beautiful place. And I wrote a few poems that kind of speak to sex and intimacy. And I found those really Mm. difficult to write. It's like no problem talking about the heroin addiction. That's fine. But having to write these kind of more joyful, strange, intimate intimate poems, they felt even more personal and exposing in some ways. So I guess there are only a few of them in the collection. Um, but those ones felt the most risk-taking for me personally. Mm. Do you feel you might be moving away from uh, writing about the darker times? I think it'll probably always be a mix. So I I really love writing about experiences in my life through poetry. I mean, when I came to the UK, I started to do a, a master's in creative writing at Cardiff University, and I thought I was going to be a memoirist. Like, I thought I was going to be a life writer, and I was going to write a memoir about these experiences in my childhood. But I kind of discovered poetry in a real way, although I had always loved it. I started to see how poets could tell truth about their lives in more complex and interesting ways than I might have been able to do in a memoir. So I really like writing about those dark things and those dark experiences through poetry. It doesn't always have to be dark. There's plenty of um, uplifting poems in this new collection about love and about passion and joy and optimism and nostalgia. But um, I suppose coming from where I did, the darkness and the difficult experiences are there and poetry feels a natural place to put them. But I hope as I continue to, to, to grow and to mature and to experience life, more light will come in and then uh, inevitably more poems about the lighter things will, will also be formed. So, yeah, I suppose I just have to see what happens with my life and and what kinds of poems might be made out of those experiences. You also have a rich collection of uh, life experiences to draw on. Um, What else are you inspired by? Oh, so many things, I guess. So my, you know, my experiences are, are things that I'm really often writing about in poetry specifically. I suppose a lot of other poets also inspire me. I'm really, I'm an avid reader. I read as much as I can. I read tons of poetry. And in fact, right now I'm even revisiting loads of poetry collections on Twitter on this, uh, my poetry bookshelf hashtag. So I'm rereading um, just hundreds of, of poetry books here. So there are poets like um, Sharon Olds and Rebecca Goss and William Brewer, Dante Collins, and their work inspires me to, to produce new work and to think about new work. Um, I also really love attending workshops where I'm getting all kinds of, you know, unexpected prompts. I recently attended a workshop with Caroline Bird um, and she she mm-hmm. got us to write loads of surrealist kind of poems, which was absolutely fantastic. But I suppose all of the inspiration that I have, which is like imagination based. So um, new worlds, other lives, other ideas, concepts, those kind of belong for me in my fiction. I write a lot of short stories too. So I feel like at the moment, poetry is really mostly inspired by real life. And then short stories are mostly inspired by all the lives I might never live and all these other ideas that I have that that don't um, work their way into my poems. So it's a bit of a it, it's a bit of a mix. And uh, what about your writing process? Do you have any uh, particular routines or techniques you have? 
This is a great question. I I feel a bit like a hypocrite sometimes when I answer this because I'm often telling my students that they should think about a bit of discipline with their writing, consider what inspires them and consider their schedule and try and sit down and do a bit of writing, not necessarily every day, but like in a more disciplined way. And actually, I, I don't do that at all. I'm I'm quite a write by the seat of my pants kind of person. Like I take tons of notes. I take tons and tons of notes all the time. So I have a notebook and I have um, notes on my phone. So anything that um, makes me think about a memory or draw something out of me, I, I note it down. Anything that I'm inspired by, I note down. And then I usually just sit on those for a really long time. I, I went to a talk by Owen Shears and he said that this process for him was called hot housing. So he might have an idea and then he kind of sits with it for months and months, and then he will suddenly write loads. And that is sort of what happens to me as well. So I tend to take loads of notes. I won't write, I won't write a poem for a couple of months, maybe, you know, two or three months, I won't write any poems. And then all of a sudden, I'll write loads of poems um, from all of these kind of different seeds that have been growing uh, over the course of a few months. So this just happened to me recently. Last week, I, I drafted um, 12 poems that have just been kind of percolating and, and waiting to grow for the last two months. Now they're, they're in a terrible state at the moment and lots of like rigorous editing and resting will, will do them, do them well. But that is kind of the process. I just sort of have an idea. I wait, sit on it, think on it. And then at some point when it feels right, it will emerge and come out. And I try not to put any restrictions on that. Um, I think we uh, should hear another poem at this point. Yes, that's great. So I suppose I have a poem that I can read here, which is about one of the addiction poems. So this poem is part of a, a short kind of series that is peppered throughout the book that have to do with addiction and anxiety. So I had lots and lots of dreams after my brother relapsed. And this is one of those dreams. It is called Vigilante, and I guess the most important thing for people to know, if they don't already, is that heroin, um, which is what my brother uh, struggles with, is made out of poppy plants, those red flowers. Mm -hmm. So that's just something to know for this poem. So uh, there it is. Vigilante. In my dreams, I collect tools, a drip torch, gasoline, glyphosate, I'm strong enough to carry them to Myanmar, Afghanistan, Iran, then closer to home, Colombia, Mexico. In my dreams, I survey thousands of hectares covered in poppy heads, take a silent moment to remember my American Legion grandmother passing out paper flowers for peace. In my dreams, I light the torch throw flames with the expert aim of a forest patrolman. Everywhere, red petals perish. Fields become bloodied and black-eyed. Soil is scorched. In my dreams, nothing ever grows back. My brother thanks me. In my dreams, I have the power to save. Thank you. Yeah, there's uh, lots of uh, strands in that poem. How did you sort of bring it all together? Well, I think I was trying, I guess in my regular life, when I have a lot of anxiety about my brother dying or about him overdosing, I tried to do research. I know that sounds a bit strange as a way to take control. So I was basically reading loads and loads and loads 
about the creation of heroin and the distribution of it and where it comes from and how it's made and how people get it. And I wrote loads of these poems in the day about the poppy production and things like that. And and so I suppose what happened is they were starting to thread together in this dream where I became someone who could, you know, destroy all of the poppy supply. Um, And it really made me think a lot about fires. This was like a a kind of poem that was an important crux of this collection where I feel like fire has destroyed so much of our life, but it also could, it can save us. Um, It can help us. It can cleanse. It can, it can make positive change as well. So I was trying really hard to kind of pull those things in. So this research that I do, this understanding that I have, that if I know enough about something, I might be able to control it or I might be able to change the outcome. Uh, I was trying to pull together these dreams that I were, was having about my my brother for, for many months of all this anxiety. And then also threading in my grandmother, who was a constant source of of kindness and, and, and calm and uh, someone who was always working for the American Legion to talk about peace and about salvation. So these these things over time, as I said before, hot housing kind of pulled together to create this poem, um, which is in a way all about how much I want to save my brother and 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 also how much I, I know that I'll never be able to. So yeah, that was what I was trying to pull together, which is quite a lot really. And hopefully I've done it some kind of small sense of justice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, what has your brother's response been to these poems? Um, his response has been really positive. He is also he he also loves to write, so we tend to trade poems back and forth. So I'll send him some of these poems, and then he'll read them, and he'll send me poems back. So I think it's difficult for him to see how much his addiction hurts me and upsets me and worries me, because of course that is not his intention at all. So I think that is challenging for him, but he has always been incredibly supportive of the poems representing what it means to to live in a family that has addiction issues. And he's always been incredibly supportive about the publishing of it. So even if he does feel sad that he's hurt me or that I'm worried for him, he is often really happy to see that the poems are being made as a way to like manage that anxiety, but also as a way to help other families who might feel alone when they're dealing with this kind of um, family addiction. Yeah, and as you said, your two experiences are completely different. Yeah, they are. And there's there's a poem in the collection, actually, which one of my friends has kindly set to music, which is a cento. So it's not really possible for me to read it. But um, mm. a cento is a poem that pulls together loads of lines from other poems or, or songs. Um, it's, it's sort of an ancient form and it's usually a, a, a poem which pays homage or honors um, another poet. And I wrote a, a piece called po- The Pop and Lock Cento, which is in the book, and it's made out of lines of all of my brother's poems that he sent me while he was in prison so that we could kind of even, I could ha- try in some way to capture his voice authentically in the book, which was a really emotional process. I, I was in North Wales at Teenaweth Writing Center laying out just loads, dozens and dozens and dozens of letters and poems from him and looking at all of these lines and threading them together into this cento to try and ensure that his voice would also be heard in the book. Ah, that's beautiful. So you have a, a writing prompt for us. I do, yes. I would like your listeners to write their own poem inspired by fire. 
So this could be a literal fire. So think a campfire, a bonfire, a hearth fire, some wildfires, or it could be a metaphorical fire. So you could talk about fire as a fuel for passion or love or determination, really whatever sparks their interest, but some poem which is inspired by fire, whether real or imagined. Yeah, it's a great topic for a poem. There's so many ways you can uh, go with it. Um, and I'd say you know, it's worth trying to kind of dig deep and not sort of just go for the obvious describing real fire, sort of look for those metaphors and things. Because, um, um, you know, obviously you've produced a whole uh, collection sort of which uh, has fire running through it. So um, there's lots to explore there. No, definitely. I feel like I feel like there's so much that can be written about this this topic, and I'm really intrigued to to see what people end up writing. Yeah, I had to go, and I did what I often do when I start writing about something. I just spent ten minutes uh, rewriting anything that I could think of about fire, um, and uh, that sort of led to me thinking about some things which. Uh, I wouldn't have thought about otherwise and some memories which have sort of come into this uh, poem which I ended up writing so this is my response to the prompt and it's called Barbecue Some bright spark spotted one at the garden centre on sale for a tenner Free from the exam hall and revision schedules, we pooled our resources, and laden with boxes and creaking carrier bags, we headed to the park. With no need for instructions, we pieced it together, till it stood proud with gaping Pac-Man mouth. We filled it with charcoal, nurtured flames in its belly, as we drank away the sun-drenched hours, devouring charred and chewy meat. It was dark and suddenly freezing by the time we started to tidy. But what to do with this hot, greasy metal machine that no longer fit in its box and trundled unsteady on its two small wheels? We all joined in at first, pushing over grass and paths, eliciting its rattly laugh, but when we got to the street we began to tire and fell away one by one, leaving it alone on the pavement like an empty pram. Wow. That final image is wonderful, like an empty pram. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you Thank so you. much for, for sharing that. I, I really love that poem. And that image of the gaping Pac-Man mouth, wonderful. Well, thanks for uh, the spark of inspiration. No, it's great to see the prompt at work. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Yeah, well, um, I hope uh, if you're listening, you'll uh, have a go and uh, see what comes out. There's so many poems waiting to be written, I'm sure. You've got a book about to come out. Uh, launch has been uh, postponed, unfortunately, but... What else are you up to? What's the next project? Oh, well, I am currently working on my third collection, um, which is tentatively titled Breaking a Mare. This actually won a Literature Wales Writers' Bursary last year. 
And it's a bit of a slightly weirder collection. So there are autobiographical poems in it about uh, the women in my family. So my mother, uh, my grandmothers, but it's also quite a lot about um, horses. So wild and domestic horses. I grew up on a farm and um, I write a lot about the horses there, but also the horses here uh, in Wales on the Gower. And a lot of my bursary year was spent researching them, tracking them, uh, reading uh, National Trust information about them and National Archives uh, letters that have been written about the ponies. So it's been a really fun collection and certainly a fun distraction now uh, that we're in self-isolation. So that's what I'll be working on uh, mainly for the next few months. And I've also got a collection of short stories and a novella in the works. So it feels like quite an exciting time in terms of writing. And I guess, although there's lots of terrible and dark things happening in the world right now with Corona, being self-isolated in the house and still not having any symptoms means that I can do quite a lot of, of writing. So that's one small silver lining for us and for me. Yeah, that's uh, great. Very impressive. And um, I, I expect you'll be uh, back on the podcast at some point uh, sharing your new work. Um, but it's been great to uh, hear some of these poems and look forward to reading uh, the collection when it comes out. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Patrick. This is a real joy, as always. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to speaking to you again soon, hopefully in the future with another book. Excellent. Um, have you got a poem to finish with? Sure, I can. I'm wondering if I should, I was already talking about the poems, which I was like most afraid of. So some of the more intimate marriage poems, I wonder if I should take a risk and read one of those for us. What do you think? Uh, sure, yeah. I can give it a try. I'm trying to be brave. I'm trying to be more brave. <laughs> so this is a bit of a quirky intimacy poem called Proficiency. Please be kind, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Proficiency. All we know now is we want to be inside each other. All we know is we must keep knocking me on his mouth, him on the door between my legs. All we want to know is how to expert each other's rigging, learn what to leave where and for how long. All we know, in fact, is that our bodies are ridiculous. Eager as geese after corn, inelegant as wind socks, soft as chinchilla fur. All we really know is we are gleeful. Agree there is no reverence here, just desire fizzing up like Mentos in Coke. All we know is our bodies are just bodies, a tangle of sponge and limbs. All we know is how they can cry and cry. That was Christina Thatcher. How to Carry Fire is due to be published on April the 2nd by Parthian Books. And it was great to get a preview of some of those poems and an inspiring writing prompt too. I hope you're all keeping well during these strange and worrying times. Our worlds have shrunk, but thanks to technology, we can easily talk to anyone wherever they are. If you're a poet who can offer some original poems and words of inspiration to other poets, it would be great to have you on the podcast. Please get in touch via the website poetrynonstop.com, where you can find out further details about today's episode and all the other episodes to binge on while you're in isolation. I look forward to bringing you more podcasts. In the meantime, stay strong, 
Look after yourselves. Look after each other. Thank you for listening and keep writing.